Well, as I hope many of you know by now, today is Promotion Sunday at Bayleaf Baptist Church. And it's a big deal for us this particular Sunday, especially for those who are a part of the next generation ministry because they are being promoted today to their new classes. They're getting to meet their new teachers and see who's in their new class with them. They're seeing friends and eating food. I hope that your, your classes were blessed with donuts and other provisions from God this morning. There's a lot of very exciting things happening in our church. But I hope that the excitement that we feel today as a people is more than just an excitement about all of the newness that is happening on our campus. Yes, newness brings excitement just for the sake of newness. But the excitement that I hope we feel today is rooted in something much more. I hope that it's rooted in who we are as a church. I hope the excitement we feel today is a reminder of our purpose as the people of God because church we are called to be disciple makers. We are called to make disciples. That's why we exist here at Bayleaf Baptist Church, to make disciples locally and globally for the glory of God. We want people to know Christ deeply and to follow him faithfully. Isn't that what it means to be a disciple? to know Christ deeply and follow him faithfully. faithfully That's what we desire for you and all of those that we come into contact with as a church, both in the Raleigh area and to the ends of the earth. It's a mission that's birthed from the words of Jesus himself and the great commission of Matthew chapter 28, 18 to 20. And it's a mission that is re-emphasized in Paul's letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy, that we've been looking at for the past several weeks. Paul wants to remind Timothy of the essential work of disciple-making because Paul knows as he approaches the end of his life that for the, the good deposit of the gospel to go forth, for this entrusted message to be well-guarded, other Faithful believers must be raised up generation after generation to push this message forward until that glorious day that Jesus Christ returns. It's essential, Timothy. You must give your life to it. But he also wants to warn Timothy that this work, although essential, is hard and difficult. He knows that Timothy will encounter resistance. He knows that Timothy will encounter disappointment, that it will not be easy. And so he wants to encourage Timothy to remember the goal, but also to remain faithful. To remain faithful, because that is the task. Here's the message that I hope that we will receive on this Promotion Sunday, church family. The people of God here at Bayleaf Baptist Church. Disciple-making is the call. And it requires sacrifice. And there may be times where it leads to gut-wrenching disappointment. It is hard labor, but disciple-making is also glorious. As you see the gospel, the message of Jesus, take root in the hearts of those you love. As you see them becoming more and more like Christ to live in the blessing of God now and for all of eternity, what could bring us more joy than that? 
Here's the main point that Paul wants to communicate to Timothy and by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to us. Whatever risk, whatever risk there is in disciple making, the reward is more than worth it. The reward is more than worth it. Will you, Timothy, remain committed to being a disciple maker? Let's look together. 2 Timothy chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 15 and then go all the way down to verse 13 of chapter 2. And here's what the Word of God says. You are aware, Timothy, that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phagelus and Hermogenes. But may the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you all know all the service that he rendered at Ephesus. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me and the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will then be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And remember Christ Jesus, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. And therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. This passage is a foundational passage for us as a people because Paul is giving direct instruction to Timothy that is beneficial for us in understanding the mission that God has given to us. Timothy is seeking to lead the church in Ephesus. That's his assignment. He's seeking to be faithful to the Great Commission there in Ephesus and help others do the same. And what a blessing it is for us to be able to overhear Paul's instruction to Timothy to help him be faithful in this calling because we will benefit from it as well. We are, be, we are to be about the same work. The, the work that, that Paul reminds Timothy of and encourages him here, that is our work as the church today. So let's examine Paul's teaching about disciple making here at the end of chapter one and beginning of chapter two and receive the challenge given to Timothy and now to us about this disciple-making work. And the first thing I want us to notice is how Paul describes the task of disciple-making. He outlines the task of disciple-making in chapter 2, verses 1 to 2. Paul, writing to Timothy, says to him, Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And then, entrust... And trust, he says, what you've heard from me 
and the presence of many witnesses and trust that same message to faithful men who will then be able to teach others also. Paul's reminding Timothy of what he did for him, of the nature of their relationship. And he's saying, what I've done for you, you now must do for others. You see, Paul was called to be an apostle. He had already been taught at earlier portions of his life, the law and the covenant promises of the Old Testament. He was a faithful student of the Jewish faith, a Hebrew of Hebrews by his own confession. But one day on the road to Damascus, everything changed for Paul, even his name from Saul to Paul. Everything that he knew about the Lord or that he thought he knew about the Lord was upended by a meeting with the resurrected Christ. The gospel suddenly became real to him. In a moment of extraordinary grace, the very one he was persecuting became his hope and savior. The scales of sin fell from his eyes and what he could not see before that moment of grace, he was able to see finally all that God accomplished in Jesus. He was able to see once and for all the the perfect, sufficient sacrifice given through the son and the new life that was available to him through his resurrection. Everything he had known, everything he had been taught, took on new dimensions in his mind, in his life, because of this revelation of Christ. And all that he had learned, all that God had deposited within him and brought to to a flowering, a moment of, of harvest through this encounter with Christ, Timothy had received. Paul had been pouring it into his life. This ministry of the the spirit and the word Timothy had benefited from, and now he was positioned to do something. Think about this relationship that Paul and Timothy enjoyed. Can you imagine the conversations that they had when they walked down the road together? When they were sitting together at night eating meals, can you imagine Paul talking about how God created all things? Timothy, just look at the sky. Just look at the expanse of the earth around us. Just look out over the Mediterranean Sea. Can you just imagine the greatness of a God who could create all of these things? And do you know that we rebelled against this great creator's purposes And every human being is lost in their sinfulness. But God had even graciously given us a temporary sacrificial system for us to have some sort of temporary covering for our sin, for our transgressions. But all of that, Timothy, was pointing us to a greater sacrifice, a pure and spotless lamb whose name was Jesus Christ. Can you imagine Paul telling Timothy about the history of Israel? And how all of Israel had been waiting for the promised son of David, the offspring of David that he mentions here in verse 8, to be the, the great king over the people of God who would rule forever. All of history, Israelite history, had been moving to the moment when Jesus Christ appeared. And Paul's bringing all of this information back into Timothy's mind through this letter. He's reminding him of all the things that have been entrusted to him, the the wealth of gospel knowledge. And he says to Timothy, you now must do for others what I have done for you. Go gather some faithful men of the faith who have already committed themselves to the Lord and you raise them up. 
You bring them alongside you and teach them everything that I have taught you. What I've taught others. You entrust to them the gospel. You entrust to them sound doctrine. You entrust to them the truth so that then they can do the same. So the church in Ephesus can grow in maturity. So the church in Ephesus can flourish. So the people around them can hear this gospel message proclaimed and the truth of God can go forward. Because friends, that's how the gospel goes forward. That's how this message moves forth from person to person, generation to generation, from one person to another. One person communicating what has been entrusted to them. One generation communicating to another generation what has been entrusted to them until God wraps up this time and this space in his eternal plan. I also want to make a note, though, of the personal nature of the task that Paul is outlining. This call to be disciple makers is not impersonal. It is personal. It's not programmatic. Think about how Paul describes Timothy here in chapter 2, verse 1. What is Timothy called? Paul says to to him, you then, my child. And that's the posture of discipleship that Paul embraces as he calls these people close to himself to learn more about the Christian faith to learn more about what it means to follower, to be a follower of Christ, Paul sees his role as a fatherly, fatherly one. There's clear love and affection, deep abiding love and affection driving what Paul is writing in this text, the kind of love that a father would have for a son or a parent has for a child. And Paul says that same love, Timothy, must be what drives you. If you're gonna do this work and be faithful to this work, you've got to have this kind of supernatural abiding love in you that drives you to pour out yourself for the good of others as I have poured myself out for you. Church, we have been given a divine heritage. We stand on the shoulders of faithful men and women who have gone before us, who loved us well by declaring to us the same gospel. Think about the legacy of faith that we sit within today. Jesus raised up Paul, an apostle. And Paul was faithful to raise up Timothy, among others. Timothy was faithful to raise up others in the church in Ephesus who were faithful to declare to the region of Asia, not Asia we know, but the Asia of biblical times, who were faithful to declare to the next generation, to neighboring nations, and it continued and continued through the centuries right to this moment. Who declared the gospel to you? Who told you about Jesus? who sowed into your life seeds of faith under the direction of the Holy Spirit. For many of us, it was faithful parents. It was faithful Sunday school teachers, faithful preachers of God's word that we benefited from because they were faithful to do exactly what Paul is challenging Timothy to do, to speak the gospel, to entrust to others what had been entrusted to them. And the call for us, church, is to continue that work. 
We must be about this business so that there will be a generation after us who can continue this work if that is the Lord's will. We must declare the gospel to those who do not know Christ and we must entrust the gospel to those who are followers of Christ. And this is a work that we are all called to do, not just some, yes, in different ways, but it's a call for all of us that we must embrace as we follow Jesus. We are called to live our lives for this purpose, but don't see that as a burden. Would you see it as a gift today, motivated by love for the Lord and love for your brothers and sisters in Christ because you want them to know Christ deeply and follow him faithfully. You want those around you, those in your care, your own children, to know the depths and riches of the glory of Christ so that they can love him more and lead lives that are pleasing to him, enjoying his blessing now, even anticipating the, the greater blessings that await those who are in Jesus for all of eternity. And that's why today is so exciting, church. That's why Promotion Sunday is a big deal in the life of our church because we are being reminded today of this singular purpose. We are doing this very thing that Paul called Timothy and the church in Ephesus to do. We are entrusting the gospel to a new generation so that they can continue the work that we have inherited of faithful generations past. This is the task. And then Paul does something unique. He warns about a risk. Timothy, you gotta be about this task. I just want you to know there's a risk here. There's a risk in disciple making. Surrounding the articulation of the task of making disciples, Paul writes of some sobering accounts. People deserting him. People leaving him, and they're, they're found not only at the end of chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, but also later in 2 Timothy in chapter 4, verses 9 to 18. Let me read for you what Paul writes at the end of this letter. Again to Timothy, he says, Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus, and when you come, bring the cloak that I left at Carpus, with Carpus at Troas, also the books above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself." For he strongly opposed our message. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. For the Lord stood by me. He strengthened me so that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. There are some whom Paul has poured his life into that have remained faithful to this task, this gospel task. But there are unfortunately some who have shown themselves to be unfaithful. And you can almost hear Paul's heartbreak 
and describing those who have abandoned him and his greatest moment of need. But more importantly, they have not just abandoned him, they have abandoned the gospel altogether. And it's a rare glimpse. Paul's giving us a rare glimpse here of the pain that disciple-making ministry can bring about. It's personal. Listen, there's a personal dynamic here. And so we feel it personally when those that we love and those that we invest in leave. Phagelis and Hermogenes, they turned away from Paul, seemingly because of his imprisonment. This happened, unfortunately, a lot in Paul's life and ministry as an apostle. He suffered a great deal. He was often in prison. And so people would ask the question, hey, if Paul is called out by God, if he's this great apostle, why is he suffering all the time? If God was really for him, if he really had the favor of God on him, wouldn't he not be in prison? Wouldn't he not be suffering all the time? And so these men left because they fell victim to arguments like that. In chapter four, Paul mentions Demas. And he says that Demas deserted him because of his love for this world. Alexander the coppersmith, he said, did, did him great harm. He betrayed Paul in some way. He may have been one of the ones pushing forward these arguments against Paul and his apostleship. And Paul is so overwhelmed with grief that he says in chapter one, verse 15, that it feels like every single person in Asia, which is where Ephesus was located, kind of around modern day Turkey, that every single person in Asia has abandoned him, turned away from him. Now, some left for good reasons. Some were sent out as you send out children of faith. Crescens, Titus, Tychicus, they were sent out with ministry purpose. Paul blessed them in this. Luke is the only one who remains with Paul. But here's the point that he's trying to make. There are no guarantees in discipleship. There's no guarantee in discipleship. When you love someone and pour your life into someone... You can't, in your own strength, make them stay faithful or unfaithful. And if they walk away, if they show themselves to be unfaithful, that can be heartbreaking. It happened to Paul, and he mentions it here. It also happened to Jesus, didn't it? Judas, one of 12. 12 people that Jesus invited close to himself and walked and talked with him. Judas saw all the miracles that we read about in Scripture, and yet he abandoned Christ. It's happened to me. As I was studying this week, a young man came to my mind in the ministry that I was overseeing at our church in Houston. He came to us at first unknowingly. I, I didn't know this at first, but he had been struggling with a, a lifestyle that was not pleasing to the Lord. And in a year or two into the ministry, he confessed this and asked for help because he wanted to walk a life that was more faithful to Christ and so we did a lot for this, this young man. We, he moved in with some other faithful young men in our church into their home. He, he gave us his phone and took a, a not smartphone so there wouldn't be temptations like he had been kind of living in for a long time. And, and he, he grew. We were watching him grow in the faith. He, he took on more leadership roles in our church. And I remember uh, one winter, we always did a winter retreat over New Year's. And this young man was supposed to lead the games because if you have a retreat, you have to have games, right? And so he was supposed to lead the games. He had worked at a Christian camp and had done those. He was going to do it for us. And the week before we left, he called me and said, Jared, I can't come 
because my work has scheduled me and I can't get off. Can you find someone else to the games? I said, yeah, sure, we can find someone else. And that's the last time I talked to him. Because unbeknownst to me, the whole time he had been living a double life. Even though he said he wanted to follow Christ, he had not given up that old way and he had gotten to the point where he was now ready to turn away from Jesus and go back to that life full time. And he knew what we would say. He knew how we would challenge him. And so what he did was just cut us off. Now, this is a guy that I saw two or three times a week for years. Who we were, we were friends. We ate together. We worked out together. And all of a sudden, he was gone. I've not talked to him since. Years ago. It still breaks my heart. That's a risk. Maybe some of you have have encountered something similar. Maybe a a student that you taught right here in the the halls of Bayleaf Baptist Church. Maybe a child. I know we got parents in the room that are struggling because they did everything they could to pour the gospel into the hearts and minds, the soul of their kids, and they're not walking faithfully with the Lord today. There will be some who count the cost and want no part of the Christian faith. There will be some who are just too in love with this world, like Demas. There will be some who will betray or be deceived by false teaching. But Timothy, do you stop? Do you stop just because there's risk? No, Paul says, because you gotta remember. Remember, Timothy, for every Phagelus and Hermogenes, there's also an an Anesiphorus. And what a brother in the faith, right? Verse 15, you're aware that all in Asia turned away from me, including Phagelus and Hermogenes. But you know who didn't turn away from me? Verse 16, Anesiphorus. He often refreshed me. He wasn't ashamed of my chains and he came and sought me out. Remember, Paul right now is not in a prison, not in a, in a home. He's in a prison. And Esiphorus had no idea where he was, but he went through the city of Rome and he found him because he wanted to encourage Paul because he was faithful. For every Demas, there's a Crescens and a Titus. For every Alexander, a Tychicus. And listen to this. Even ones who have failed, who are unfaithful for a moment, can be restored. Like John Mark, right? This is a pretty incredible thing in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Verse 11, he says to Timothy, Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. This Mark is in all likelihood the same John Mark that's mentioned in Acts chapter 15, verses 36 to 41, the one who caused a dispute between Paul and Barnabas the dispute was so tense that they, they parted ways because Paul did not want John Mark to go with them on their missionary journey, but Barnabas did. He had shown a little bit of unfaithfulness and Paul wasn't willing to bring him along. Barnabas wanted to bring him and they, they divided over that. But now here, something's happened in John Mark's life. And whatever it was that concerned Paul earlier is no longer a concern and he sees him as a gift useful for ministry. And so he asked Timothy, hey, bring him with you. I need to see him. Yes, 
Church, there's risk and disciple making. There's risk in any relationship. But Paul says it is worth it. And then he reminds us of the ultimate reason for disciple making. Because the reward is not just seeing the faithfulness of those we love. The true reward and the true thing that will keep us committed to disciple making regardless of the risk is our love for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are about the work of making disciples because that is what pleases Jesus. We take the risk, verse three, because we are soldiers of Christ. And our aim, our chief aim is to do what he says. Paul says, do not get distracted, Timothy. Don't get distracted by the cares of this world, civilian pursuits. No, you remember the, co the command of your commander in chief. You remember that great commission and you set your mind to it. Don't wander off course. You please him. And there's no greater work that pleases Jesus than making disciples. For the sake of Christ, for the sake of the elect, do this. Risk suffering, risk imprisonment, risk disappointment, because your aim is to bring glory to Christ by helping others become more like him. You run this race as an athlete. You've been trained. You run this race as an athlete with, with one goal, one victory in mind. You do the work of a farmer. You labor hard. You sow those seeds knowing there will be a bountiful harvest that you will get to participate in that Jesus will bring about. And then finally, he directs Timothy to the power for disciple making. There's a task, a risk, and a reason. There's also empowerment. Remember, Timothy, when you feel the weight of this work, you remember that God has given you everything you need, everything you need to continue. You be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 1. You remember, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and self-control. You remember the promise that will sustain you, that if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will reign with him. Don't deny him, because he will deny us. If we're faithless, he remains faithful. He's the one. He's the one who does the work. You just be faithful. And trust that he will bring it to completion because he cannot deny himself. Be faithful, Timothy. As I've been faithful, as Jesus was faithful, you be faithful. Make disciples and trust in the power of Christ. Now, church, let's get a little closer to home this morning. Let's think about how Paul's challenge to Timothy in this passage can directly affect our lives and our pursuit here at Bayleaf of this same gospel goal. What can we do? How can we respond to this spirit-inspired call from the Apostle Paul? Because not all of us are going to lead churches. Not all of us are going to be called to go lead a church in Ephesus, but all of us are called to disciple-making. It's part of the Great Commission. So how can we respond? Firstly, engage. Would you just commit to be a part of this work? 
However you can be a part of disciple making, would you engage, to, would you commit to engage in this work? Because it is for all of us, formally, informally. There are formal ways in our church where you can engage in disciple making. I'm so grateful for the many of you who have committed to serve in our education ministry over the next year. Many of you have already committed to serve in preschool, to not just babysit, but to teach them the truth and, and glory of Christ. Many of you are serving in our kids' ministry. Many of you are, are teaching our students and instilling them in truth that, that will, the Lord will use as they go off to college and, and grow into adulthood. Many of you are serving in our, our Sunday schools, our small groups in a variety of ways. Many of you are working as greeters, parking lot attendants, security, to facilitate the ministry that's happening here of discipleship. However you can engage to collectively support the ministry of this church to make disciples, would you do that? I'm challenging us in this this morning because as we seek to grow, as the Lord brings us new people, as we think about utilizing the property that we have on Creedmoor Road north of 540, we will need all of us, all of us, to make this happen. Do you know if you're a follower of Jesus that God has given you a spiritual gift to utilize for the benefit of this body, to sharpen one another? Collectively, friends, let's be about the work of discipleship and use our gifts for that end every time we gather together. Let's be about the work of discipleship. Let's, let's gather in these groups and even in smaller groups Let's allow iron to sharpen iron. Listen, if, even if you've not been gifted to teach, there's other things you can do. In your classrooms, speak up. When, a, when a, a teacher asks a question and the Holy Spirit prompts an answer that, that you've been given through study in the Word, would you offer that and engage? That might be a blessing for someone. Would you offer testimony? of what God has been doing in your life. It's amazing how God can use all of that to encourage and bless and help one another become more like Christ. Join together in small groups of peers, in our D groups, where you just share about how, how God has been working in your life and challenge each other to grow in Christ's likeness. Collectively, let's be about this work individually. Not only in the household of God, but in our own households. Friends, let's make sure that we are making disciples. We say this often, but if you have been entrusted with children, your number one priority is helping them know Jesus deeply and follow him faithfully. That is the number one priority you have. To entrust the gospel to them, to pray for them. The Lord would save them from their sin and birth within them new life now and for all of eternity. Would you embrace that responsibility and role. And let me just encourage you, we're here to help you. It's our delight to help you in this. But would you make sure that your ultimate priority is seeing your kids know Jesus deeply and follow him faithfully. Let's engage in informal ways as well as we take each other out to dinner, as we go to lunch, as we meet over coffee. Let's, let's, just, not, let's just not talk about the weather. Let's talk about the God of the universe who created the weather. Let's talk about the gospel, meaningful things. Let's not get distracted by civilian pursuits. Let's be about this. And let me just challenge us a little bit deeper here, okay? Let's 
commit ourselves to this work in new and refreshing ways. I'm gonna say something I hope you receive pastorally. I don't want in any way for it to be received as condemnation. I just wanna challenge you. I've often heard people say, Jared, I can't be involved in discipleship as much as I wanna be because we're just too busy. We got too many things going on. I'm not gonna be here often enough to do that because we're traveling to the ocean or to the mountains or we got travel ball and I just can't commit in this season to be engaged in the way that you're asking me to be engaged. Let me just make a caveat. Listen, I understand that all of us have different seasons that demand something from us. But let's also let that be the exception and not the rule. So let me encourage you this morning. Don't let your freedom constrict your service to God. Let your service to God constrict your freedom. Let me say that again. Don't let your freedom constrict your service to God. Let your service to God constrict your freedom. What if Paul had said, you know, Jesus, I really want to be faithful, but I'm a little nervous if I'm committing to you that I'm going to be in a prison. And so I'm just going to take a back seat, let somebody else handle that. And when I get a little bit older, I don't have as much life to live, then I'll think about taking the risk and possibly going to prison. No, he didn't let his own personal freedom restrict or constrict his devotion. Jesus called, he said yes. So would we ask the question, okay, listen, I know I'm in a particular season, but God, I know you've given me giftedness. I know you've called me to this people. How can I serve you? And I'm willing to sacrifice a little bit of freedom so that the church can be about the work of making disciples, so that I can use my gifts that you've entrusted to me and call me to use well to help the church make disciples. Would you engage? Your brothers and sisters need you. This church needs you. The next generation needs you. Will you engage? Secondly, will you endure? When you have a moment when someone you love walks away, shows unfaithfulness, that can be so disappointing, discouraging that it can make you want to pull away. Honestly, when my friend left our ministry in Houston, it was a blow. We grieved. And the thought crosses your mind, man, I don't ever want to do that again. I don't ever want to feel that way again. So I'm just not going to pour myself. I'm not going to get close like that because um, of the danger of that. Would you resist that? Resist that and just rest in the promise of what Paul has offered us here in reminding us of Jesus risen from the dead, the offspring of David, this gospel that has been preached. Would you remember the faithfulness of Jesus and it's his faithfulness that drives us to our own faithfulness? Endure. Thirdly, encourage. Sometimes we need help. Sometimes we need help remembering the encouragement of the gospel. And that's why God gave us each other. So church, could we just be like Onesiphorus to each other? When, when there's opportunity for discouragement, when you hear someone who's walking in discouragement, would you seek them out? Like Onesiphorus sought out Paul, and would you encourage them with the gospel? Church, let's be the kind of people that people long to see because they got beat up throughout the week and they need some living water poured on to them. Let's be the kind of church, the kind of church members that it's a joy to be a part of 
Because we're constantly encouraging each other and building each other up. Let's be the kind of Christians that bless one another with gospel-saturated words because this work can be hard. And we need that reminder through the community that God has blessed us with. And finally, would you emulate? Let's do all of this because it's what Jesus did. He counted the cost. He left the glory of heaven to pursue us in our sin. He lived a perfect sinless life, died on the cross for us. He took our place, but he also overcame our greatest enemies, sin and death. And then he called to himself 12 men. He entrusted to them this teaching he called Paul to himself. He entrusted him with this teaching so that the power of the Spirit, it could go forward until the day he returns. It's his work. It's his mission. We're just servants of it. Let's be faithful and trust him to be faithful. Who knows what kind of spiritual fruit the Lord will bring about what kind of harvest he would bring about through a church that's willing to work hard for the sake of Christ, to make disciples, to help people know him deeply and follow him faithfully. So let me ask you, are you a follower of Jesus? Are you a disciple of Jesus? Have you ever given your life to him by responding in repentance and belief? If you are, a disciple, a follower of Jesus, have you been discipled? Have you engaged in the ministry of the word at a local church in a way where the deposit of the gospel can be entrusted to you so that then it could flow out into others? And are you making disciples? In your home, in the local church, in our neighborhoods, around the world for the glory of God. Wherever you are, do you bow your heads? And let's just wrestle with this calling. If we are called to be disciples, we are also called to be disciple makers. Maybe there are some here in the room who are not yet followers of Jesus who are joining us online. You've never committed your life to Jesus. You've never committed to pursuing him and, and living your life for what honors him. Well, today could be the day of your salvation. When you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, today you can turn from your sin to following Christ. And we would love to pray with you and encourage you toward that today. If you need that, come talk to us after the service. We'll have some pastors and ministers down here. For the rest of us who are followers of Jesus, are you engaged in the disciple-making process? Are you being discipled? Let me just tell you, the best thing you can do to grow in Christ is to be engaged in the local church week after week. Come, benefit from the ministry of the word, and then use your gifts to encourage and help flourish the ministry of the word here. And then are you discipling others? If God's entrusted to you children, are you discipling them, helping them to know Jesus deeply and follow him faithfully? Are you building gospel-centered relationships so that you are edified and encouraged and so that you can edify and encourage others? 
Are you thinking about the next generation and how you can pour into them what has been poured into you? Let's have this kind of discipleship mindset. Father, would you help us be more faithful as a people because of our time before your word today? Help us respond in a way that brings you glory, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week at Bayleaf. For more information about Bayleaf Baptist Church, visit our website at bayleaf.org.